Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast at UT Belfast. We hope you enjoy as you join with us on Sunday mornings and listen in as we seek to inspire our church and the people of our city to encounter Jesus and just love it with the biggest heart of compassion possible. Good morning everyone, you may take your seats. Um, For those of you who don't know me, everyone calls me Spud for some reason. Don't know why, still trying to figure that one out all these years in. Um, I used to be on team here as one of the pastors and then a couple of years ago we went full time with the thing that I get to do every day, uh, which is called CVM Ireland, which is uh, a men's ministry trying to help churches all over the the island, trying to engage better with men in particular. And um, we get to do that Every day, uh, our offices are down in the hub there, thankfully to the guys at Compassion Belfast for helping us out with that. And uh, yeah, God's on the move. Just saying that, um, just saying that he's on the move in our land, he's on the move in our city. Um, we're not here to say we need an awakening just for the sake of it. We really do need to see an awakening of God in our land, in our city, and in our hearts, and in our lives. But he's already moving um, across this land in so many ways. I find, I was saying to the guys this morning when we were praying as a team beforehand for this morning service, I find it fascinating that five churches from four different, three different, four different denominations, Baptist, Elam Pentecostal, which we are, uh, Presbyterian, um, we've an independent in CFC, um, and I think that's it, isn't it? Bap- Church of Ireland, Willowfield. And this morning we're all doing the same talk, we're all following the same scriptures, and we're all follow, doing the same topics every week. This week it's about seeing an awakening in our city through the invasion of the Holy Spirit. And that's happening right across the five churches this morning. Not, not just here in the Elam church, which is what we're probably known for amongst other people out there. But this is happening right across the place. I have a good friend, and I'll not tell you his name, but he's a pastor, minister of, of probably one of the largest churches in the country. He, it's a very, uh, comes from a denomination that isn't normally associated with Pentecost or Holy Spirit and all of that stuff. When he was growing up in the first early years of his ministry, him and his family were deemed as the advocates for the cessation of the Holy Spirit, i.e. the Holy Spirit didn't move any on, on any further apart from what we read about in the book of Acts. That was it. It was gone. It was forgotten about. And in the early 2000s, he was booked to speak at a debate with the guy who was pastoring CFC at the time, he was going to be debating that the Holy Spirit is now and alive and for today and wants to empower everybody, which we're going to look at this morning. Uh, but he was there to fight from the cessationist point of view that, no, it's gone, it's dead, it's not there, it was in the book of Acts, it's gone, it's forgotten about. And he really felt convicted that he needed to go on a journey and the build up to this debate. And this was going to be a theological debate in front of a lot of people. And he felt he really had to own this, own this himself again and go and revisit all the stuff that he held dear to his heart that he believed was the right way. And that involved a journey of about six months. One of it was going to the, the conference that we now do, uh, but back then it was mandate. Um, and didn't he end up being baptized in the Holy Spirit? And on the day of this debate, um, Paul Reed, who was a pastor he was debating against in this theological seminary setting with all these brains there, gets up and does his opening statement about how the Holy Spirit is alive, he's a well, he's wanting to empower, he's wanting to reach out into our community through believers. And everyone's sitting there thinking, here comes the man. And he's going to give it to him. 
And he just gets up and with tears in his eyes, just says, I've got this all wrong. I'm so sorry. And I believe everything that he's just said. And now he's got one of the largest churches in the land. And I got the interview him a couple of weeks ago, a months ago at the conference that we do every year called DNA. And he asked him, what did he want to be remembered for the most out of his ministry? I'm just with tears flowing down his face. He says, I just want to be remembered for a church that chased after the presence of Jesus. That's a Presbyterian minister. And God's on the move across our land and across this city. And I want to be part of it. Do, do, do you? It's, it's, it's exciting. It's, it's not just like us. And I think we, before we even get to this, what we're going to look at this morning, we as a denomination have sometimes have clinged on to the Holy Spirit thinking he's ours. Our history in Elam has been like, this is our thing. This is what we do. We're Pentecostals. And I think we've lost the essence of it. I think we've lost the essence of it. And he's bursting out through every denomination, through every nook and cranny, not just in the north, but in the south too. Um, I'm going to move on in a second. I have a friend who is planted a church in Tala, which is one of the roughest areas in the whole of Western Europe for social and economic problems and issues, from drug abuse to everything. And he's seen his church grow to like 150 very quickly through just God moving in power. And a couple of weeks ago at their, at their midweek gathering, he's done a Bible study on hell. That's a conversation stopper for you, isn't it? And they've done a Bible study for hell. And he said, Spot, we're sitting there and there's a girl in our church and she's known as the complete, the most stereotypical introvert you could ever meet. She says nothing. She sits and she listens. And she's a nurse but she doesn't feed back anything. She just sits and absorbs and says nothing. The following day after doing this study, she was going to do a care for an elderly woman that she works with and the conversation obviously comes up. So what'd you get up to last night? I was like, well, you know, we're just at church. We're doing this study. She's like, all right, what was that study on? And she's like, well, it's all about hell and about, you know, if you don't believe in Jesus and put your trust in him that there is a problem there, you will go to eternity without God. It'd be separated and, she explained it all to him what hell was. And she's like, I don't want to do that. I, 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 I don't want to do that. How do I not go there? And she's like, well, you put your trust in Jesus. You, you ask him into your heart. So she does this. And then there's a big commotion in the room. And her sister, who's in the house at the time, comes running in. She goes, what's going on? And she says, you know, she was at her church last night. She was telling me about this place called hell. And she's like, what is it? And she's like, what's this place the we're told about in the Bible that you will go to an everlasting eternity that's separated from Jesus, separated from God. And it's not really a really good place that you want to go to, but God has a better plan for you. He sent his son to die for you through his blood that you can get to heaven and have a life everlasting with Jesus. And she's like, well, I want that. And then, so she gives her life to Jesus right there and then at the time. And then somebody else who came in to relieve the other girl from her shift, she comes in and all this commotion's going on. There's all these tears in the room because people are talking about hell and not wanting to go there. And she's like, what's happening? What's, what's going on? And all of a sudden, explaining the same thing to her, she gives her life to Jesus. The girl's on her way home. And she's kind of like going, that was a bit of a weird shift. You know, after talking about hell for so long, she gets in through the door and she says to her mom, um, her mom says, so well, how was your day? She's like, oh, unbelievable. You wouldn't believe it. You know, all of a sudden, they start talking about this thing called hell and the old people. She's like, what's that? Because her mom doesn't believe. And she explains to her again what hell is. And she's kind of like, well, I, I don't want you to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. Can you, can, can you teach me how, and lead me in a prayer that gets me to know Jesus that I don't have to go there? 
And then all of a sudden her dad comes running in. He doesn't know anything about Jesus. And he's asking, what's it all about? Well, it's about hell. And who wouldn't on a Bible study about hell one night could end up leaving the five people come to Jesus the very next day of talking about hell? Because it's not a very popular thing to talk about these days. But God's on the move. Um, one thing that we've got coming up in a couple of weeks for the guys here in the church and for the wider guys that we work with in our, in our network is we've got a night coming up on the 19th of March with a good friend of mine called Jeff Voth. Nathan's going to put it up. He's the founder of Cave Time, which is a great movement and ministry that we work with based in the States. Jeff's a, a pastor. He's a professor at Oral Roberts University, which is one of the largest Christian universities in the States. And he's coming over with his son and a few other guys, and they just have an amazing story. His son was a drug addict, having come out of the army, sleeping under bridges, all this stuff, and it's just a miraculous move of God, brought him back to Jesus. And what these guys do is, is incredible, so I can't encourage us. The guys in the room to come to that would be great to see us on Thursday night, the 19th of March. The largest invasion in the history of man was on the 6th of June, 1944. 156,000 and 115 Allied troops transported on 10,440 aircraft and 6,939 ships and landing craft landed on the beaches of Normandy in what was remembered as D-Day. This was the beginning of the end of the Second World War and the pivotal turning point. D-Day was the combined largest military operation and an invasion in the history of man. And think about it. Hundreds of thousands of men being backed up by people and women back home who go out with one mission, with one goal, to defeat the enemy. To set the captives of occupied Europe free, to stamp out darkness with hope and with light. An invasion like never before. We're going to read this morning from Acts chapter 2. Um, if you've got it, you can turn it in your Bible. Switch on your device. Don't go on to Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff, but we're in Acts chapter 2. And I'm just going to read, it's quite a long reading this morning, so bear with me. But it says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, everybody say suddenly. There was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what, appeared, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed, these people are from Galilee and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. We hear our Parthians and there lists a whole pile of them. There's like people from Clondoff and Clarewood and like Bally Sillen and Bally Murphy and there's a couple of Ballymenaites and Craigavonites and Coleraine people and like from Dublin. They're from all over, okay? 
and we'll, go, we'll jump down to verse 11, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians and Arabs, and we all hear these people seeking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed by what can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying they're just drunk, that's all. And Peter, Peter, yes, stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. This is outstanding. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. (laughs) No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will, will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants and men and women alike. They will prophesy and I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will come become dark. The moon will turn red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arise. But everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Please someone say amen. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of the lawless Gentiles. You nailed him to your cross and killed him. Uh, There's a hallelujah bit coming up here and I need to hear it. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for death could not keep him in his grip. Yeah, okay, let's do that again. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for death could not keep him in his grip. That's better. King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your holy one to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life. You will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David was referring to himself before he died and he was buried and his tomb is still there among us but he was a prophet and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on the throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raises Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. We are witnesses to this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand and the Father as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my God, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts and they, were, they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what must, we, what must we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of our sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles. All 
who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. You're not going to have that this morning, but he continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. So thank you for coming this morning. I really think, you know, we got to allow God's face to move. Isn't that just incredible? What words, what, what promises? The first century church in Israel is birthed at this moment. At this moment in time, this is the birth of what we know as the church. It's birthed by Jesus' words before he ascends into heaven and his instructions. But it is also birthed, as we've just sung, by a spirit who lights the flame. And boom, it just goes viral. Before there's even any Twitter or Facebook, it's viral. Before that word's even cool, it's viral. Jesus doesn't do, it's birthed as a movement. It's not birthed as an organization. It's not birthed as a place just to gather and have debates or to be our, our, ease, our ears appeased every week by something that we want to hear or sing songs that only we want to sing. It's birth as a movement to invade and to bring hope and to bring life into the world around us. And he chooses what we know later on it says in Acts. He chooses unschooled, ordinary people. He doesn't choose the elite of society. He chooses ordinary people. And we're in this book of Acts this morning. This is the most motley crew you could ever assemble to begin a movement. This is Peter, whose sermon that we've just read and listened to. This is Peter, who literally a few days previous to this, probably about 50 days to be exact, where the night was Jesus. There's 50 days between the Passover and, and the Pentecost uh, festival or feast. And Peter, on 50 days prior to this, had just denied Jesus publicly three times. And yet, under the Spirit and the empowerment of the Spirit, he's able to get up and deliver this message that in his first almost like public comeback since that mishap, since that fall, sees 3,000 people come to the church. Quite powerful, isn't it? And we're in this season and we're in this series of awakening. We've spent all of January praying for an awakening in our hearts. And I think... The best way I could try and make this work in my head was uh, just a couple of diagrams so that it kind of threw up, Nathan will throw up the first one for me, about how we can have, uh, this is the preconditions of renewal, because there's, there's certain steps that we have to take. We have to see a renewal within us, and I think that happens within an awareness of God to his justice and his love, which is incredible and all-powerful, that his love for us, and we need to, I need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of his holiness. He is a holy God. And not only that, I have to be aware of the depth of our, of our fall from him, I, of the depth of our sin, not just in my own life and in our own lives, but in the world and the community around us. And then we go on to the next one, which is the primary elements of renewal. These are the things that we have to have in place where we see just, just justification in our hearts, where we walk in our true identity, that we are accepted, that we are called his own. 
We can do that this morning. Without question, without doubt, that we, we have been justified through him. Through his, we are sanctified, our sanctification. We are free from all bondage because Jesus has paid the price. And then we move on to what we're looking at this morning. We are filled with an indwelling spirit that we are never alone. And we have authority in spiritual conflict that regardless what comes after us, we have authority. And we're in this book of Acts. Not only that, we've got, before we even get to the book of Acts, we go back to creation where we see the Holy Spirit show up in the second verse of our Bible where there was nothing and the Spirit was hovering. He was there at the beginning. He breathed life into Adam. He breathed life into Eve. The first people that we actually read about being filled by the Holy Spirit are people in their workplace. It's an interior designer and a fashion designer who are filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. Two people who were involved in the construction of the tabernacle, an interior designer that was gonna design the inside of the tabernacle for God's presence to come and fall, and a fashion designer who was constructing all the robes that the high priests were gonna, was gonna wear when he went into the presence of God. They're the first people that we read about. And there's so many more examples of even when the Holy Spirit invading. Let me read something to you. And these are from the Old Testament. There's a massive emphasis on the Spirit's power as an invading force. In Isaiah 40, verse 7, it's like a rushing wind. He invades the lives of his children, bringing might and power. We read about that in Gideon and Samson and Ezekiel that we looked at through the Valley of the Dry Bones a couple of weeks ago. Man cannot control or limit the Spirit's invading power. Let me read you a quote from Michael Green's book, I Believe in the Holy Spirit. We have grown used to expect the Spirit of God to speak to us in a gentle whisper and not a roaring wind. If you want to really know what it's like in Acts chapter two when the Holy Spirit comes, stand outside today for a few hours. In the storm that's raging outside these walls now, imagine that was inside. That's what it was like. We have sought him in our promptings of our hearts or our resolutions or of our committees. We are in danger of forgetting it as God that we are talking about, God who created us, the God who sustains us and has sovereign rights over us. This God can and does break into human life and sometimes he does it through the violent, the unexpected, the alien. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says about Acts, he says, this is the most lyrical of books. He said, live in this book, I implore you. It is a tonic, the greatest tonic I know of in the realm of the spirits, of the spirit. And I think this book, the Acts, it's actually called, it's it's proper title, full title is the Acts of the Apostles. It's probably quite an erroneous title. Because for a long time, the church believed that this was just a history book where it recorded the acts of the apostles, where it really just only really covers Peter's journey, Paul's journey, and a few other guys who we'd never heard of until we read about them in Acts called Philip and Stephen. It's like most of the Bible, like whatever happened to Bartholomew, who was one of Jesus' disciples and then an apostle, like we really never knew much of Bartholomew, sure we don't. 
And it's not a history of the acts of the apostles of what they did. This is actually probably to give it a proper title, and forgive me, I'm no expert to be able to do this even, but this is the acts of the Holy Spirit through ordinary people who have been empowered by him to go and transform the world around them. And it's not, we can't just look at it even as an individual book because its author is Luke, Dr. Luke. The best way to look at Acts is probably to try and look at it like a second box set season since the gospel of Luke. It's like Netflix. It's like you can't have one without the other. You gotta go from reading Luke's gospel straight into reading Acts because he, he sets it up so well. Um, the last, um, Ryan read from it this morning, uh, Luke 24, which is the last chapter of Luke. Um, that, and this is perfect. This is before even, you know, you could skip the credits or you could skip the recap. You know, he sets it up so well with this teaser of about what's to come in Acts. We're in uh, Luke 24, verse 49, literally the last four, ver- one of the last four verses of Luke's gospel. This is the words of Jesus. And he says, I, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power. And then when we bounce into Acts, verse, the, the first chapter, we get the prelude to it about how he's writing it for someone specifically. It would be like the credits of your Netflix series that you're watching. And then we get a, a more expansion on the recap of the promise of Jesus. We get some extra words from him. Uh, it says in Acts 1, verse 4, it says, Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem again until the Father sends the gift he promised as I told you before. And then one of our favorite ones that we love in Pentecostal circles is Acts 1 verse 8, but you will receive. Wow. That was so lame. That was not powerful at all. But you will receive. Yeah, we'll get there, don't worry. You will receive power. Thank you, Sally. You will receive power. Now, we all know through our old, you know, this is going back 20 odd years. Whenever I was in Youth Encounter at Beersbridge Road, Elam, we would have had this drilled into us. The Greek word for power here is what? Dunamis, which is where we get dynamite. And dynamite is just not like a wee par. Dynamite is par. Okay? This is what we're talking about. This is what it is. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I have um, four kids. As many of you know, um, it was quite uh, a traumatic experience when we knew number four, Joshua, was on the way because I knew never again for the foreseeable future will I be able to own a normal car. For every guy, that's the game changer, isn't it? You don't go to the uh, used car ads and look for a five-seater anymore. It has to be seven seats. It has to be. Um, so we have an S-Max. Um, it's, two, it's 2.2 litre. Um, very, yeah, old, old, old. It's falling apart. And last year, the turbo went on it. Has anybody ever had the experience of having a diesel car that's turbo diesel and a turbo feeling? (sighs) Yeah. You go from driving quite a nice, powerful thing to driving a tractor. But you're actually driving a tractor that's really in limp mode 
because you feel like you're not going anywhere and you've got your foot to the floor and you're like, please, Lord, turbo, heal in Jesus' name, fire into life, come on. Where's the power that used to be under this right foot to get me up this hill, to get me from here to there? I'm nothing. You see, we have been created to be power assisted. We're not created to be on our own. We've come to Jesus through his Holy Spirit convicting us. We've given our lives to him, but we just don't stop there. We need something more. And this is his promise to us that we will never be alone, that we will be equipped with power. Um, Again, Jesus himself, I really just want to give you a little bit of this and we just want to leave space for this to happen. Jesus himself in John 14, 16 says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate or a comforter, a paracletos, someone who comes alongside and journeys life, an advocate who will never leave you. What words from Jesus. He is the Holy Spirit. Okay, he's not the Holy Spirit because I am not the spud. Alone I, that does, no, He is, he is the Holy Spirit. He is Holy Spirit. Who leads all in the truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him. And this is the thing, we know him. Some of you, you, even if you're a visitor here for the first time, and you're maybe hearing this for the first time, you're maybe trying to figure out where does this all fit in with what I've just what I know or what I don't know, Spud. Something maybe led you to be in here this morning. Something maybe urged you just to say, you know what, I'm gonna try that place out. Something that you maybe just seen, just, something just fit it, something just felt within you, that urge, that's something that you had to be here. That's the Holy Spirit. Because you know him. We know what he's like. We know when we come to Jesus that it's him who's brought us to that point in our lives. And you know him because he lives, he lives with you now and later will be in you. You see, we're being told here by Jesus himself that the Spirit is coming, not not just to visit. He's coming to dwell. This isn't an Airbnb situation where it's just a quick one and then you're away again. This is an indwelling of the Holy Spirit for the rest of our lives. He is always there. He is always here. He was present before we even came here this morning. And this is what happened whenever it was Jesus. Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry, it was actually quite a local ministry, geographically speaking. And it was an external ministry. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he comes that we would have, and he would have universal influence right across this world. Yes, at a local level, but right across this world. And it would be internal and you and me in his impact. Jesus again, he goes, on, he goes even further when he was speaking in John's gospel. He says, but when the father sends the advocate as my representative, that the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and he will remind you of everything that I have told you. Oh, how many times do we need that in our lives where we get in, in this situation, where we get into a pickle, where we, something hits us that we weren't expecting And we need Jesus, we need the Holy Spirit to come and remind us of the words that Jesus himself said, that he will never leave us. That we are accepted. 
that we are being sanctified and we have got justification through faith in Jesus Christ. So much more. Um, one of my favorite ones to, and hardest ones to get my head around was whenever Jesus said in John 16, 7, he says, but in fact, it's actually better that I go. Jesus saying this to his disciples, it's best that I go so that he, because if I don't go, then the advocate, the comforter, the encourager, the counselor won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. See, that, this, is, this is where I think we need to allow our childlike faith just to explode a little bit. So here we have Jesus saying these words. This is Jesus who was fully God and left all that behind, but still being God, became into the conflicts of a, of a, of a body, a human body. And we know that whenever Jesus received the Holy Spirit at his baptism in the Jordan, that it talks about the, the, the heaven being tore open and the Spirit coming on him like a dove. And that begins Jesus' earthly ministry. How you, mate? You good? <laughs> that cookie looks really nice. <laughs> and this is his earthly ministry. This is the birth of Jesus' earthly ministry. Now, let me ask you a question. How close, and let your childlike faith answer this question. How close to the Holy Spirit did Jesus have to be to be able to walk through a crowd and then someone just touched the hem of his garment to sense a deposit from his account with the Holy Spirit, if you want to put it that way. Let your childlike faith figure that, try and think about this. How close did he have to be to him? To sense that? How close can that, does that allow us to be to the Holy Spirit? It's in, um, Nathan, I don't think I give you this one. In, in Mark 6, we actually, it actually goes a little bit further because this also went viral like a lot of stuff that Jesus did. In Mark 6, it says the people recognized Jesus as once and they ran throughout the whole area. They carrying their sick people on mats to wherever they heard him. Wherever he went in villages, cities or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him. Listen to this. This is just through, through word of mouth. They begged him to let him touch at least the fringe of his robe and all who touched him were healed. Because he's this close to the Holy Spirit. And this even goes on further in the book of Acts in the Paul's ministry. And we have Paul in Acts 19, he's making his tent. And he does some, people come along to him and somehow they get a piece of material, a bit of clothing, uh, one of his aprons. They take it and they actually lay it on people who are ill. They lay this cloth of his on people who are ill and they get uh, set free from demons. They are healed. They are restored. Now, I think this is, there's, no, there's no manual that we can go to. The, the seven steps of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the Spirit's power through clothing. There's none of that. This is a childlike faith. I think we have to have when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And I think this is where we have to allow our behavior to affect our belief. 
it's harder for my belief to affect my behavior. It's harder for that way for it to happen. So for example, some of you who know me might know I like to swing a golf club. Get to go to Portugal to do it in a few weeks, yes. Try and see some guys come to Jesus at the same time, so it's a missions trip. <laughs> now, I can believe, I can believe that I am good at golf. I can believe that I'm the man. I can believe that I can take on any suitor in this room. But unless my behavior is affected, it's not really gonna happen. But if my behavior is, you know, I know golf, you, there's only one way to get better at golf is you have to do it. You have to learn that swing. You have to watch some other people do it. You have to get some teaching on it. You have to go and find out. You have to have, it has to have action. You have to let your behavior affect then as soon as I maybe get a little bit better than that at it, try and train, try and learn, try and watch some YouTube guy trying to figure it out, teaching me what to do. My belief in how good I am whenever it comes to a really hard shot or a really hard hole, I can then look back at my behavior and go, yeah, I know I can do that because my behavior has affected my belief. And this is what we have to get to when it comes to the Holy Spirit where our behavior pushes us out of our boundaries, where our behavior pushes us closer to him. He is our advocate. He wants to draw close this morning. He is already here. He wants to empower. In that passage that we read this morning, there was 120 of them in the upper room. How many people were filled? And how many people missed out? It was 100%. It was 120 out of 120 were filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Bill Johnson, who I love reading some of his stuff, says, the gospel that is in your mouth is more powerful than any ism that has ever hit this planet. Any cult, any group, anything. There is nothing that can stand in the face of the power of the resurrected Christ in you. This is what we have to understand. And this is probably, I've made this mistake sometimes in my faith. I always used to think when the Holy Spirit filled me and empowered me and equipped me, that it was for rooms and for occasions like this. And at times, yes, he does. We get to hear people who are gifted and who are anointed by Jesus speak up here every week, lead us in worship every week, pray over us every week who, who lead this church. And I'm not demeaning that. But what happens here is when the Holy Spirit comes and he empowers and he fills a room full of believers, it bursts out of the church. Bursts out in a way that people from every language and every dialect and every background and every economic class understands the gospel of Jesus. And kind of like the girl that I told you about at the start, going into your workplace and telling all these stories about what hell is, people can hear it and go, I, 
I want to know this Jesus. I want to know this power that is within you. So it doesn't just stop here. It bursts forth. And I, I, um, Isaiah 6, where he's walking up to the temple and he, those amazing words where he, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Seated on a throne. He gets a glimpse of heaven, what it's like to be in the presence of Jesus himself around his throne room. We don't ever see or read about Isaiah camping outside at that very exact spot and place on his way into the temple every day, hoping for the same experience to happen. Because his, his train filled the robe of the temple and it burst out. In Acts of the Apostles, the Holy Spirit comes and he breathes in wind, storm and fire and it bursts out of that room. We don't know where that room is today. I was in Israel this time last year and believe you me, they have chapels and churches put up on every site that they think something significant happened. There's the church of the Annunciation. There's the church of this. There's the church of the, Bethsaida, the pool of Bethsaida. There's the church of Gethsemane. They're all over Jerusalem. There's nowhere where it's like, this is where the Holy Spirit first moved because it's went viral through the church. It's went viral through every believer who follows Jesus. I'll give you, we walked, we were doing this tour of Jerusalem. <laughs> A few of us, and we walk around every corner and the girl's like, right, we're now going to this church, which is this. We're now going to this church, which is that. And I was like, oh my goodness. And she was like, we're now going to go to, all we heard to do was something to do with Peter. And one of the guys says to me, what did she say? And I was like, I don't know. I says, it's known, known Peter. It's probably that here's the church. <laughs> here's the church of the denial, you know? And we laughed. We walk around the corner. He says, this is the church of the denial. But the Holy Spirit comes. He empowers every believer and it bursts out of the church so that people can understand the gospel in a way that they can resonate with because the Holy Spirit's already there working on their lives and in their lives. Let's stand. This is not the end. Try to do things a little bit different with only a couple of songs at the start. Because we wanted to leave time at the end to allow what happened in Acts chapter 2 to happen here. We wanted to create a space that is completely safe for anyone to step out and say, Lord, I am here. I want to meet you. Holy Spirit, I want you to fill me. So right now, I give you full permission to pray the most selfish prayer that you can pray. It says, Lord, forgive me. Lord, fill me. 
Lord, release me. Lord, use me. How can we be so sure? Because as I said before, you are designed to be power assisted. Not on your own. We are designed that we yearn for him to be close with us. And here's the best bit. Jesus himself said that he will go to the Father and he will ask him to give you and to give me the Holy Spirit that he will never leave us. He is praying for you. So this is going to be left open. I encourage you, you might need to step out of where you are. There's space all over this room. Find a space. We're not going to rush it. I'm simply praying, Holy Spirit, you are here. We welcome you. Come closer, Lord, right now and fill every heart fill every life fill every soul fill every body Lord we pray let your wind blow through this place Lord may your fire burn in every heart Lord come Holy Spirit Thanks for listening in on our Sunday podcasts. Check us out on our Facebook, Instagram at UT Belfast.